Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You are entering the news vault from KCBS Radio. Flames and the smoke. I have a tape recorder in my hand. Now nobody would think of doing that. The newsmen were blocking the door. It worked for a couple of seconds. Bringing the sounds of history back to life. Here is your host, Stan Bunger. This time around, another example of one of those compendiums of KCBS programming. On a previous episode, we found one that went back to the 1960s. This one is from 1983. It's a demo reel of KCBS programming, probably used for sales presentations to send to ad agencies outside the market, for example, to give ad buyers an idea of what was on the air on KCBS. And it focuses on news events in 1983, along with some chunks of KCBS programming. Uh, You'll hear some coverage of the Koalinga earthquake that struck that year. There's also one that I remember quite clearly, the grounding of the USS Enterprise. The big aircraft carrier in 1983 was home ported at the then still active Alameda Naval Air Station. And I remember this one vividly because I was anchoring that morning from our studios at one Embarcadero Center on the 32nd floor in San Francisco. And from that window, there was a view of the bay, not the whole bay, but just the right angle to see this aircraft carrier steam under the Bay Bridge, and then make the left turn headed for its dock at the Alameda Naval Air Station. We had a reporter aboard the ship. You'll hear her reports in this segment. But from my vantage point, at one point, things just didn't look right. And I thought, is that ship leaning a little bit? Now, when you see something the size of an aircraft carrier... Uh, tilting a little bit on the calm waters of, of San Francisco Bay, it does set off some alarm bells. And sure enough, the ship had run aground. It was a major embarrassment for the Navy and the commander of the ship who was relieved of his duties. Also in this segment, you're going to hear an example of something that ran on KCBS for many years at 8.06 in the morning, and if memory serves well, also at 12.06 p.m. and 5.06 p.m. It was known as Beat Check, and within a few minutes, you would hear virtually all of the news that KCBS had in its news file for that day. Uh, from a programming perspective, it was kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it allowed people to very quickly sum up all of the news that was news at that hour, On the other hand, it also allowed people to say, well, I guess I've heard everything. I don't need to listen any longer. And from the perspective of attracting an audience and keeping it, which is what the broadcast business is all about, maybe not such a great idea. 
At any rate, a 1983 demo reel of KCBS programming on this edition of the News. Fund. If you do good, you feel great. If you do lousy, you can't wait to get back. But being uh, in the bullpen, you got to have KCBS News time is 4:44. Undoubtedly, you have just felt the earthquake that we are feeling here at One Embarcadero Center. We are checking right now to find out the epicenter and the magnitude of this quake. Uh, we are getting a fair amount of shaking in this building. Nothing pretty ferocious, good right there. Yeah, we're moving around pretty good. So we are checking right now to find out what is going on. And uh, if you are in an area where you felt the earthquake, go ahead and give us a call so we can uh, find out what the uh, range of this quake is and whatnot. And of course, we are keeping track at this very moment of the uh, damage that might have occurred. And uh, as I say, we will let you know as soon as we find out more. We'll be getting in touch with the UC Seismographic Station and let you know the severity of this quake. Don, back to you for a little more sports news, I guess, if we can stop shaking. Yeah, we were talking about Steve McCaddy. He wasn't actually shaking yesterday, doing a good job, McCaddy. May 2nd, 1983. A major earthquake rocks California. KCBS is the Bay Area's news source. 5.06 at KCBS, as we have been telling you, an earthquake has hit much of California. It's been felt all the way from uh, the Los Angeles area, all the way up into the far northern parts of the San Francisco Bay Area, Stockton, Watsonville, Sacramento. The Fresno Police Department reports phone lines to be down in Bakersfield, and there is a report of damage by way of the Fresno Police Department in San Luis Obispo. Northern California's largest radio news staff provides complete continuous live coverage as the story unfolds. On the CBS Newsline right now, we have KPMC General Manager Howie Wines. And, uh, Howie, what, what did it feel like there in Bakersfield when the quake hit? Well, it was a rolling-type uh, shake here, Mike, uh, all the way down through us. Uh, it, it could have uh, been just, uh, just affecting that, uh, that fault line. That is Howie Wines, who is manager of KPMC, the uh, CBS affiliate in Bakersfield. Bob Hallman is also on the news line. And, uh, Bob, what information have you been able to pick up? So? Well, you know, what uh, the gentleman from Bakersfield was just talking about makes a lot of sense. First one, about 30 to 40 seconds duration. The second one, a lot shorter. Well, that's Bob Hallman. And, of course, he's keeping tabs of things, too, to let us know uh, what he felt down his way and what information he can get. George will be back in a minute with a regular traffic report. But let's see what has uh, happened quake-wise as far as traffic is concerned. Ten-minute delay on the BART system, Mike. They shut the system down all around. San Jose CHP couldn't find any reports of damage anywhere. KCBS News Time is 510. We are keeping you posted on this earthquake that has hit a wide segment of California this afternoon. On this Monday afternoon, I'm Mike Pulsifer with Stan Bunger. And we have reports, Mike, out of the Central Valley, and it's been very difficult to keep track of exactly what has happened there because the phone lines have either been down or have been inundated with calls. We've not been able to get through to Sacramento. Got a call from a gentleman in Stockton. It took him three or four minutes to get a call out to San Francisco. He did say, just like everyone else has been saying, that it was a sort of a two-prong thing, a first jolt, a rolling kind of thing, a pause, then more of the same. We now have on the news line Mike May. He is a ham operator who apparently has been talking with people in the Colinga area, and we understand there's some difficulty there, according to what you're getting over the ham radio, Mike. Yeah, a couple of the repeaters are, are going, and the talkies uh, come in real handy. That is Mike May, who is a ham operator who has been in touch with some people in the Colinga area, and it uh, would appear that there is damage there, and the possibility, at least, of some fires burning. As, I, as we all pointed out, we don't have any confirmation of that, but it appears uh, possible that there is some significant damage in the Colinga area and also some fires possibly burning in that area. Stan? Mike, now on the line uh, from the Office of Emergency Services in Sacramento, we have Jay Hope. The OES uh, should be able, at this time, I would hope, to give us some indication uh, as to how severe and, and just where the epicenter was something a little more updated. Jay, uh, can you help us there? Yeah, Baker, or, uh, or Berkeley is trying to determine now what the, what the helicopter 
helicopter to give us a more extensive report. All right, we will check back with you shortly then. That is Jay Hope of the State Office of Emergency Services in Sacramento offering us some more information. Just to uh, repeat quickly, though, a strong earthquake has rattled California from Los Angeles to San Francisco. Officials at UC Berkeley believe the quake probably registered in the 6 to 7 range on the Richter scale. They've not been able to determine that exactly. They have placed originally the epicenter as being in uh, the Bakersfield area, and we have reports of some damage in Coalinga uh, with the possibility of buildings down and some injuries in Coalinga, as we just heard from the Office of Emergency Services. Uh, however, we also have information, as I say, the quake apparently was centered in Bakersfield, but it was felt with roughly the same intensity and the same type of motion throughout all of the areas uh, in which it was felt, perhaps with the exception of that area south of the Tehachapis. We will continue to follow the story. Stay with us. We'll have more here on News 74. 514 at KCBS, and now our beat check, sponsored by Home Savings of America. An earthquake rocked California at about 440 this afternoon. I'm Dick Fitzmaurice. Initial estimates are that it was centered near Bakersfield. A delay of 10 minutes because of the earthquake this afternoon, and that's all the problem that BART experienced. Their trains are running again through the Trans Bay Tube. SP along the peninsula southbound will be operating at reduced speeds, but leaving San Francisco on time. At 16 past 5, that's a beat check from KCBS on Monday, May 2nd, 1983. 521 at KCBS. Good afternoon. I'm Mike Pulsifer with Stan Bunger, who's in for Don Mosley. A strong rolling earthquake has shaken much of California from Los Angeles to San Francisco, with most of the impact being felt in the San Joaquin Valley, the Sacramento Valley, and in the San Francisco Bay Area. We have reports indicating there has been damage, perhaps some significant damage, emphasizing unconfirmed, perhaps significant damage, and perhaps some injuries in Colinga, which at this point, based on reports from the State Office of Emergency Services and from a ham radio operator that we have been talking to who has talked with people in uh, in the uh, Colinga area, uh, there may be some buildings burning in that area and perhaps some buildings down. Now, the Highway Patrol is en route in a helicopter right now to try to determine the extent of the problem, and of course we will have reports uh, as quickly as possible on the extent of the damage and the confirmation of injuries and things of that nature. Preliminary reading as far as the magnitude goes, somewhere between 6 and 7 on the Richter scale. That information coming from both the UC Berkeley seismographic... When news happens, Northern and Central California listeners get it first, get it right. On KCBS News Radio 74. Good morning, 1106 at KCBS News Radio 74. Stan Bunger in for Alan Ray. 55 degrees outside in San Francisco, and the showers and thunder showers are expected through this afternoon, and in fact, right on into tomorrow. We're going to go now live to News Radio's Diane Callas. As you may have heard, the aircraft carrier Enterprise made its return to San Francisco Bay today. It was not exactly a triumphant return because the aircraft carrier has run aground. Diane is aboard and can tell us the latest. The Enterprise was due in Alameda at 10 o'clock this morning, but as you say, she did not make it. At 9, she steamed under the Golden Gate Bridge right on schedule, and then under the Bay Bridge, and then she hit the sandbar and is still there where she stopped shortly before 10 o'clock. Her 38-foot draft and the 29-foot channel just are not compatible. We're lifting right now to port side about 8 degrees. Tugs are still working on the mighty ship, but it looks like we're going to have to wait until high tide, and hopefully the tide and the tugs will help us get out of here. Uh, meanwhile, the officers and men have just been ordered over to port side, I guess, to try to get a li little more weight over there in hopes that we can move. Meanwhile, the officers and men, numbering about 6,000, have been gone for eight months 
are still close and yet so far away from home. Reporting live, I'm Diane Kalisky, CBS News, on the Enterprise in San Francisco Bay. Diane, before you get away there, if you've had a chance to talk with any of the crew, I'm wondering what their feelings are at this point. Is there any sense of panic? Is it disappointment, anger, bitterness, or what? All of the above, Stan. Uh, some people say, well, after eight months, two more hours isn't going to make any difference. Other people are, are very disappointed because a lot of these guys have flights planned out of the Bay Area later on today. One man I talked with was flying out at 12.30, but of course he is not now because he'll probably still be right here in the middle of the Bay. So everybody's disgruntled and disappointed. Nobody's angry, but there are some red faces among the uh, guys with the scrambled eggs on their caps. I'll bet. That is News Radio's Diane Callis. She is aboard the Big E, the aircraft carrier USS Enterprise, which is going nowhere fast. KCBS News time is 11:19. On our KCBS News line now is Virginia Felker, who is the Assistant Public Information Officer at the Navy base at Treasure Island. We are now going to try and find out when the Enterprise may be freed from the mud off Alameda. Can you tell us what the latest is uh, as far as your guesstimate when you're going to be able to get the Enterprise out of the mud? Right now, the tugs have had some success in pushing her around to about 40 degrees, enabling her to ride the, full, the high tide at approximately 1334 or 134. Now, does that mean you'll be able to, to actually get her off at that time, or that's the best shot you're going to have at getting her off? They feel very strongly that they will be able to get her off at that time. Okay. Does the fact that she is listing at this point cause any problems for the systems aboard? None at all. All right. That is Virginia Felker, the Assistant Public Information Officer at Treasure Island. The Navy saying a little after 1.30 this afternoon seems to be the best guess as to when they're going to be able to try and pull the Enterprise off of the sandbar she's apparently stuck on off Alameda. Despite that optimism, the USS Enterprise was not returned to Alameda until many hours after our first report on KCBS. We had continuing coverage. But breaking news is not the only news KCBS covers. We are also heavily involved in the coverage of issues that affect Northern Californians. We've been misled. Cocaine isn't like heroin, we've been told. Cocaine's not addictive. Yeah, we'll tell that to Clint, who until recently was spending two to $3,000 a week on coke. And he needed major surgery to remove the veins in his forearm, which had become infected by contaminated needles. I spent eight days in the hospital. I got out, and within five hours, I brought another ounce of cocaine, broke the cast, tore the wound open, and didn't care. Cocaine's not addictive? Tell it to Darlene, who got hooked on coke, and became a hooker to support the habit. She says her entire personality changed. Ma'am, I've invited my grandmother's friends into the house and pilfered their purses. I put a gun to someone's head, you know, for it. Tell it to Frankie Wood, community outreach director for French Hospital in San Francisco. There are more incidents in San Francisco of emergency room episodes having to do with cocaine than any other major metropolitan area in the United States. Dr. Richard Miller, who runs the Coke Enders program at Wilbur Hot Springs in Northern California, says anybody using enough cocaine for a long enough period of time will become addicted. Miller admits Coke is not physically addictive, but quickly adds that fact doesn't amount to a hill of coca plants. The fact is cocaine is psychologically addictive, and if you're addicted, you're addicted. If you use the definition uncontrollable urge, 
cocaine is highly addictive. Dr. David Smith of San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic defines compulsion as loss of control and continued use despite adverse consequences. Cocaine, he says, definitely falls into that category and points to studies of monkeys attached to a device allowing the animals to self-administer cocaine. And they will uh, preferentially self-administer cocaine over any other drug and use it until they uh, literally die. Uh, it overweighs the desire for food, drink, sex, even the desire to live. Darlene, who at 30 has been sober for five years, says monkeys don't have the monopoly. It's as strong as my will to live. What the compulsion does to people in our next report. Dick Fitzmaurice, KCBS News. KCBS is the news voice of San Francisco. KCBS is also the city's conscience. Come on, gentlemen, you look sad. This would cheer up. Young ladies, want to save your marriage? This is where Phyllis Stiller, Mort Saul, Lenny Bruce, King Street, and Smother Brothers came out of. Wow, what a loving. Oh, my gosh. Come on, girls. You won't have to take vitamins for 20 years when you come out of here. George Martin is a street barker who works for one of the Broadway clubs in San Francisco's North Beach. An area of embarrassment for many San Franciscans, George sees the district as a vital part of the city's total entertainment picture. In the, in the three blocks we have here on Broadway, they should keep it alive all the time. Because when the people come out of these other places, the St. Francis or Opera House or somewhere, well, where are they going to go? They have no place to go. They want to see some live entertainment, you know what I mean? And you'd be surprised how many salesmen with their wives come and where can we go to enjoy some first thing? They want to see something like this. George admits that many of the joints on the strip offer little more than a glimpse of nudity under the guise of art, but says his place is strictly a class act. Like we have a young lady, like we call Lolita, she doesn't act like the great Gypsy Rosalie, Sally Rand, with a lot of class, a full gown, a picture hat, and she doesn't with class, and that's beautiful. George likes his job and has for 20 years. He sees himself as a salesman, and as such, believes that the role demands equal parts of showbiz, psychology, and experience. You can't put a kid on a door and expect him to understand all those things. You put a tie on him and call him a doorman. It's not done like that. It still takes years of experience like being a musician or anything. You, you got to learn, you got to practice, you got to know what you're talking about, you got to know how to converse, you got to have a little moxie, you give to get. I asked him about some of the changes he's seen on the strip, and he admitted to being out of touch with the younger generation. He remembered a bygone and more elegant era. Well, I've seen the, the culture, I've seen uh, class come by, I mean, people that really dressed with a lot of, uh, well, it gave us the good name of what San Francisco used to be known for, the cosmopolitan city. Like any cosmopolitan center, San Francisco has its cultural diversity. Barkers of Broadway, like the rest of us, have a job to do. Come on, sir. All college goers want to drop out. Come on, young lady. You look sad. This one's cheer you up. Chris, are you seeing the boys? That's what George Martin does for a living. On KCBS, I'm George Rask. KCBS News is up to the minute and retrospective. It starts in January, as do most administrations, but it seems to start with higher hopes and a bit more whimsy than most. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom, symbolizing an end as well as a beginning, signifying renewal as well as change. A law was made a distant moon ago here. July and August cannot be too hot. And there's a legal limit to the snow here. 
in Camelot. The My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. In Camelot. Twenty chimpanzees are in training in New Mexico. They are training for flight in space. The movies of early 1961 include Where the Boys Are, with Paula Prentice, Connie Francis, and George Hamilton, who is described as the Jimmy Stewart of the 1990s. There's no Velcro, no Teflon, no Tang. There is Roy Orbison. Just run and In early 1961, Dashiell Hammett dies in New York City of chronic lung disease. Kodak offers the Verifax copier, promising five dry, easy-to-read copies in a minute. IBM introduces the revolutionary Selectric typewriter. There is no Highway 280 in California. The Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin becomes the first man in space. In March, the bestseller list includes Advise and Consent, Born Free, and To Kill a Mockingbird. In April, a group of expatriate Cuban nationals trained by the CIA tries to invade Cuba. President Kennedy had changed the nature of the U.S. commitment. The Bay of Pigs was a major military and public relations disaster. The plan had been hatched the year before Kennedy took office, but he didn't duck. There's an old saying that uh, victory has a hundred fathers and defeat is an orphan. In 1961, Ernest Hemingway takes his own life. Dr. Martin Luther King, who was described as a soft-spoken, strong-willed minister, has his third child. King is 32 years old. The Soviets build the Berlin Wall in the summer of 61. In the fall, Roger Maris hits his 61st home run, breaking Babe Ruth's single-season record. Wonder, KCBS not only covers the news, but takes a stand on the important issues. Here's General Manager Ray Barnett with an editorial opinion. Strip search. It's as ugly as it sounds. Suspects are stripped of their clothes and their body cavities are inspected for drugs or weapons. There are plenty of horror stories about strip searches in California. A woman in Long Beach was arrested and strip searched for a charge involving a dog license. The same thing happened to a Fremont woman. You can imagine their outrage and humiliation. Yet in many police departments, strip searches are a routine part of the booking process. Assemblywoman Maxine Waters of Los Angeles sponsored a bill which would end those abuses. It would prevent strip searches of people arrested for misdemeanors unless there is a good reason to believe the person is carrying drugs or weapons. The legislature passed the bill. Governor Dukmajian vetoed it because he thinks it would disadvantage and possibly endanger police officers. KCBS can't say it strongly enough. That veto is just plain wrong. The bill would not prohibit strip searches. It would set some badly needed guidelines for conducting the searches. The San Francisco Sheriff's Department already operates under the key provisions of the bill. The California Organization of Police and Sheriffs told us it has no fundamental objections to the bill and may even end up endorsing it. KCBS urges the legislature to override the governor's veto. And we want you to know we're going to be following the action on this bill very closely. Our editorial department can tell you how to contact your legislators. Call us during business hours at 765-4124, 765-4124. That's the way we see it. We'll make time for other points of view. Call or write KCBS. KCBS. Around the clock, around the bay. KCBS News Time 806.
V-Check, sponsored by Home Savings, Home Savings of America. And first off, there's a big accident on the upper deck of the Bay Bridge, and uh, George will have details on that at the end of this V-Check. And now, with election news, here's Barbara Taylor. Mayor Feinstein, Sheriff Mike Hennessy, and District Attorney Arlo Smith have all easily won re-election. Measures supporting English-only ballots, tougher recall elections, and an end to U.S. involvement in El Salvador have won voter support. But an absentee ballot count later today will determine the results of two other controversial propositions. And check continues with Diane Callis. Pittsburgh will soon have a new city council. Four out of its five members lost their posts in yesterday's recall election. The new council is to set the date for yet another election in which their successors will be chosen. Mark Howell now has more election news. A measure aimed at controlling growth in Half Moon Bay was defeated yesterday at the polls, and the voting will change the balance of political power in Emeryville, where three opponents of high-rise developments were elected to the city council. East Bay Bureau Chief Steve Little continues beat check. The proposal to change the name of Grove Street to Martin Luther King Way gets a thorough airing at the Berkeley City Council. And Alameda County's controversial redistricting plan will be reconsidered at a special session of the Board of Supervisors tonight. By the way, that city council did vote to approve the name change of that street to Martin Luther King Way. And now with more news, here's Bill Polish. It's back to the drawing board for the folks who want to build a new South Bay jail to reduce overcrowding. 53% of the voters approved Measure A, but it needed nearly 67% of the vote to become law. Stan Bunger continues be check. City elections workers are starting at this hour to count absentee ballots, which could tell the fate of the downtown planning and office smoking laws, Propositions M and P. A man the FBI wanted badly has been captured in San Francisco a month after he was arrested and then released under an alias. Next on B-Check, News Radio's Dick Fitzmorris. The proposal to bring the Reagan Presidential Library to Stanford now has support from a student group. Till now, the only organized student voice opposed the plan. Now to our bureau in Washington, D.C. This is Les Woodruff. The House is expected to vote on legislation today that would protect local phone users from having to pay a $2 a month charge beginning next year for long-distance service. Action in the Senate on similar legislation is uncertain. Now here is Don Wiegand at the Pacific stock exchange. The market is trying to rally today, but it hasn't shown all that much oomph yet. Gold and silver are up just slightly. V-Check continues now with Karen Stanley in Sacramento. One of the biggest fines ever handed out by the Fair Political Practices Commission has been levied against the United Farm Workers Union. The UFW has been accused of violating reporting laws for campaign contributions and concealing their involvement in various political campaigns. And lawmakers will be taking a first-hand tour of the state prison in Tehachapi today to investigate the level of inmate overcrowding. And with a word on traffic, here's George. Jammed up across the upper deck of the Bay Bridge is traffic now because of an accident near one of the right-hand lanes at the San Francisco Anchorage. An AC Transit bus, three other vehicles involved. Injuries have been reported and an ambulance is being dispatched from the San Francisco side out to Treasure Island where it will turn around and head back across the upper deck. Traffic's backed up past Yerba Buena Island, but if you try to keep to the left approaching the San Francisco Anchorage, you'll have the best chance of getting by. Westbound on Highway 24 between Lafayette and Arinda, there may still be some CHP units assisting a vehicle that overturned at Hidden Valley. And if you're in Marin County southbound right now, watch for a stall at the Corte Madeira on-ramp to southbound 101. On the San Mateo Bridge, eastbound, approaching the toll plaza, a stall has traffic backed up for about a mile. Westbound traffic's doing well across the span, but it's backed up through Foster City, heading to Highway 101. At a 10 minutes past 8, that's Beat Check for this Wednesday morning, November 9th, 19 1983.
When news breaks, KCBS is there. 545 at your Bay Area news station. This is KCBS News Radio 74. Jim Lauder at the controls in Studio A. Chris Cutter and Ruth Wurzberger editing the news on a Tuesday. With Don Mosley, I'm Mike Pulsifer. And in our news this Tuesday afternoon, guilty verdicts in a San Francisco trial. Yes, it was guilty, 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 but a lot of verdicts still to come. Let's call in KCBS Newswoman Lynn Jimenez. Indeed, it was guilty. Both Alex Cabarga and Louis Treefrog Johnson, accused of kidnapping and sexually molesting Tara Burke and another 12-year-old boy, were found guilty of that kidnapping charge today. Louis Johnson was found guilty of another count, false imprisonment of Mac Lynn. He's the young boy. Now, the interesting thing about this verdict is that it caught reporters, the news media, totally by surprise. The jurors went into seclusion about 2 o'clock this afternoon, and according to an attorney who was on the scene, he said they just passed out a few notes uh, during that time, and when they came back into the room and the judge asked them, do you have a verdict, it was almost anticlimactic. But it is not anticlimactic to the two defendants, as I said, Louis Trefrog Johnson and Alex Cabarga, both found guilty of kidnapping Tara Burke, who was two and a half years old at the time of the kidnapping. Louis Johnson found guilty of false imprisonment of Mac Lynn, who was ten years old at that time. Uh, there is absolutely no one around the Hall of Justice, no Judith Whitmer, the prosecutor, no James Collins, Cabarga's attorney, no uh, Bob Berman, who's uh, Johnson's attorney. We are all hoping to get a hold of District Attorney Arlo Smith sometime tonight, and if we can't get a hold of him before later this evening, we will get a hold of him at his election celebration. Reporting live from the Hall of Justice, Lynn Jimenez, CBS News 74. And speaking of election celebrations, San Francisco voters began going to the polls in greater numbers this afternoon after a quiet morning at the precincts. So the final turnout may be a few percentage higher than expected. Let's have the latest from KCBS reporter Jerry Wilcox. Registrar of voters Jay Patterson, whose voter turnout guesstimates are usually right on the money or close, had predicted a 37% turnout, lower than usual for a mayoral election here, but higher than some special elections in San Francisco. Patterson has been keeping an eye on his new computers, and they show that the turnout picked up this afternoon, so that by mid-afternoon, 18.7% of the city's registered voters had cast their ballots, and based on that, the registrar now believes the final turnout may be closer to 40%. Patterson says the votes for and against propositions M and P will probably be close right to the end, which means that the absentee ballots turned in at the polling places today could be a factor. If there's a close race, those uh, 2,000 or so absentee ballots that get turned in at the precinct uh, will uh, definitely be a factor. And because they won't be counted on election night, they won't be counted until uh, a day or two after. Patterson says if everything goes well with the new computers, all the other votes may well be counted before 11 p.m. Jerry Wilcox, News 74 at San Francisco City Hall. San Francisco police on the FBI have taken an unidentified woman into custody after she allegedly threatened to blow up a U.S. air flight coming in from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The plane landed safely and was taken to a remote section of the airfield while police checked it out, but no bomb was found. The woman was held for investigation. Some progress was reported this afternoon toward getting Samtran's main line service back into gear, despite the continuing strike... At KCBS, we take our radio station to the people. When it's happening, KCBS is there, live. Right now, 59 degrees in downtown San Francisco. CBS News Time, 11.55. We give you back to Al Hart and Stan Bunger and Bob Hallman watching KP KCBS coverage of Fleet Week. We are here, and I just see the first chip. 
That would be the destroyer uh, O'Brien outside the Golden Gate. Now they're probably a little ahead of schedule because of the wind, I would imagine. The wind is, is behind them, is it not, Bob? And uh, that should move them along a little faster than they probably wanted to. Right, I think they're spacing themselves out now. Their timing is excellent considering the uh, amount of work they have to do to maneuver at slow speeds and to come in that large ship channel just at the right time spaced apart. Uh, their timing would look to be just about perfect. Of course, they can pick up a little more speed than they would normally have. loops. One of the aircraft is clean, has all its landing gear up. The other one is dirty, has the landing gear down. They are spacing themselves to both come out at the same time despite the different flight characteristics of their airplanes the way they are set up now. So they came through the loop with one on the inside with gear down, one on the outside the other way. Uh, they have apparently on a couple of occasions today broken off from some of the maneuvers they were doing but they are completing this one now as they come back on the inside of the loop, coming back down over the bay and headed west toward the Golden Gate. One aircraft with the gear down, the other one clean as they've completed the loop. And despite the different attitudes and flight characteristics of the airplane set up the way they are, exactly they passed exactly at the same time right next to the reviewing stand just like it says to do it in the book I want to tell you if you were quick you could have grabbed the landing gear on the on the dirty plane as it came by now Diane Callas as we've been telling you the KCBS 74 reporter aboard the USS Wabash is outside the Golden Gate now we understand we've been able to make radio contact with Diane aboard that ship well let's see if we can call her in now and find out how the sailors are taking it as they steam in for Fleet Week 83 of excitement aboard the USS Wabash at this time, Stan. Everybody having a good time. I'm told by officers aboard the ship that this is a day, this is a time, Fleet Week in San Francisco, that the U.S. Navy really looks forward to. I was competing just a moment ago with a helicopter. The helicopter has flown off. We're about two and a half to three miles on the outside of the Golden Gate, two miles now, I'm told, by the captain of the ship. We can see the O'Brien, uh, the USS O'Brien, just off the Golden Gate Bridge, just about to come under, and also looming just a little bit in the background, the huge bulk of the USS Kitty Hawk yeah. aircraft carrier. And the Blue Angels now finishing the diamond formation, all six aircraft completing a loop. back over the reviewing stand headed toward the San Francisco Oakland Bay Bridge. This is KCBS 74 coverage of Fleet Week 1983 and Fleet Week coverage will continue in the next hour here on News Radio. Remember to follow the News Vault from KCBS Radio on social media. On Facebook, we're at News Vault Podcast. On Twitter, find us at News Vault SF. On Instagram, we're at News Vault. Until our next episode, you are leaving the News Vault from KCBS Radio. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.